Last night, I co-hosted a Twitter space with some other people that had just attended Consensus in Austin, Texas. And one of the trends or topics that we kept coming back to was how this year, as opposed to last year, was a little bit more serious. And when we broke this down more, it was that the projects that are here now are just more serious projects. And if anything, they're more businesses that also happen to have a Web3 component or are backed by blockchain. This was a similar sentiment that I had after my experience in NFT NYC, because gone are the days of the bull run of 2021, even into 2022. And as we find ourselves nestled in a bear market, the smart money, the VCs are no longer just looking for hoodies and parties. They're looking for a business plan, cash flow, a great legal setup, a CPA, an overall business plan that makes sense with people who have created businesses before. And today's guest speaks to this trend. Pablo is a retired police officer who now practices law and is somewhere between Web 2 and Web 3. I guess you could say Web 2.5 as he still supports Web 2 entrepreneurs as well as Web 3 businesses. On this episode, we dive into why he as a lawyer is super, super bullish about Web3 and we go through his journey from growing up as a kid in the Bronx to now living in the Caribbean and traveling the world to blockchain events as a lawyer. I'm Jarrett Carpenter and this is More Than Blockchain. Pablo, welcome to More Than Blockchain. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, unfortunately, getting over COVID, but I'm a lot better now. So good to talk to you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you're over COVID. We were supposed to, I think, catch up a couple of days ago, but you were like, zero chance that's happening. I'm down for the count. Yeah, I, I was basically stuck to my bed for a few days, but negative tests, feeling better. So, you know, new week, new me, right? <laughs> there you go. And do you think you got COVID at, at NFT NYC? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I actually had somebody I was so I came back from NFT NYC, which is a great trip, had, a, had an amazing time there, learned a lot, right, got to meet some new potential clients, got to meet just people in the space that I've been wanting to meet for a while, had a great time. And then I get home and the, think about the day before I left New York, I wasn't feeling too well. And I said, you know what, this is my last night in New York, let me kind of just chill out in my hotel, stay sleeping and not go out like a fool. Uh, did that, got home the next day and tested positive for COVID. So it was definitely from New York. And that was when you got, that was Saturday. Yeah, I got, I got home, uh, on a Saturday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Normally I think it's, so I stayed that Saturday night in Brooklyn with friends and I didn't do anything cause I couldn't, I, I got dinner with a buddy and I was in bed by 10. And normally if I'm in Brooklyn for the weekend, Going we're out. out to at least two, I don't even know if we're drinking, but like there's stuff to do till the early hours, but I was just tapped out. And then that's Sunday too. So I don't know whether it was COVID. I don't know whether it was just extreme lethargy. I also don't know if the IRL intensity of NFT NYC was a lot because most of the times I'm doing this, right? Like yeah. you and I are connecting over video. Mm -hmm. There's a distance here. I'm not like consumed with it. And right. NFT NYC for me was, it was awesome to meet so many people in such a small amount of time. I mean, I feel like as far as networking is concerned, you know, six months of Twitter in three days or something, you know, it's like yeah. on that level, you know, it was exciting. I agree. And, and it, you know, I, I've been, I've been working in the, we'll get into it a little further later on, but I've been working in the conference space for, I'd say about uh, seven or eight years where I've been working in political conferences before I got into web three, uh, used to host them internationally in the Caribbean and Florida and New York. 
And uh, I'm used to the grind of, you know, leaving my home, going for a week and being on, right, 24-7 pretty much. And it exhausts you. And I'm, I'm turning 40 this year. So me doing it at 31, 32 was a lot different than 40, you know. So I'm, I'm kind of with that age change, I'm kind of just getting acclimated to it and understanding that, you know, recovery from these things, it's a lot. And it, it really, it's important to take the time to recover when we're, we're done with it, you know. Yeah, 100%. And like I, I was telling you before we hopped on, I'm supposed to be going to consensus today. So we'll see. I should still be going if I take a test and it's positive. Yeah. That would change things. But yeah. I should still be going to consensus. And that's, that's really exciting. I originally saw a tweet that you had shared. And I guess we'll start there. And then we can kind of dive more into your crypto background. But sure. I saw a tweet that you shared that just resonated with me. I do a decent amount of travel. I'm somewhere between here, here being Massachusetts or Boston or the Northeast and Columbia. And I do a decent amount of travel, and it's always been so obvious that one of the lowest hanging fruits for NFTs is ticketing. Like the timestamp on the blockchain and adding in some other information, which is just like your seat number and whatever, always seems so obvious. So I think that's why I I saw your tweet because it obviously like went viral in the Web3 communities, in the NFT, in the post-NFT NYC communities. I know a lot of people who got trapped in LaGuardia or JFK or Newark post NFT NYC and they already weren't feeling well. And then they had, you know, an extra six hours of travel because hoopla. So do you want to speak a little bit about that tweet and what was going on there? And and then we can shift into your, your, you know, your history with crypto and bring you back up to the present. Sure. Of course. Of course. So when it comes to NFTs, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not uh, super big on the whole PFP movement, right? It was gigantic. It was great. I love the art. I'm definitely in support of all of the artists that are the NFT space that are continuously growing and finding new mediums to sell their work. I do collect, right? I'm not a great collector. I've had some amazing stuff from some really intricate artists that I I really hold dear to my heart. But what I'm here for is, is the innovation of it, right? Like that's really what excites me. California, for example, with the Tezos blockchain, they're putting car titles on the blockchain with NFTs, right? This is the most amazing story to me that I was talking about all week at NFT NYC that I just don't know why this is not such a huge deal. Uh, you mentioned Colombia. Colombia last year, I believe, um, I've been to Colombia a few times and I went for a, a conference in Bogota and we were speaking about Web3 because of the fact that at that time, the Colombian government was trying to put home titles on the blockchain, right? And that's such a huge issue in Latin America, where I currently live now in Dominican Republic. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. And uh, it's a it's a huge issue in Latin America because homes have been tried to traditionally done through handshake deals. And so even within, you know, extended family members of mine have lost uh, land in the Dominican Republic because another family member came in and just took it over and just said, no, this is mine. Right. So finding ways to innovate with NFTs and the blockchain specifically, just because of the provenance, just because of the immutability, the fact that, you know, it's it's there. Right. And, and nobody can really contest it. So I was standing in line, right? Uh, like everybody else the week, that weekend, I got I got stuck on travel um, where I got to the airport uh, about 7.30 in the morning. I didn't end up flying out till, I don't know, 5.30 at night, right? And it was a weird weekend. There were some issues with the systems there throughout the whole JFK area, uh, LaGuardia as well. And I'm standing there in line and we're waiting so long that they decided to print out ticket vouchers for food, right? And they said, okay, well, you know, we're going to give you a $25 voucher. We know you've been here six hours or whatever it was already. And we have to give you this food voucher so you can get some food in the actual airport. So I'm standing there waiting. 10 minutes go by. I'm standing there waiting. Another five minutes go by. I'm standing there waiting. Another five minutes go by. And there's a line forming. And we're all just kind of looking at each other like, what are we waiting for, right? And it's that 
they had to actually manually print out each single food voucher ticket, which is two tickets. It's a receipt for them and then it's a receipt for you, right? It's limited $25 to only one location, right? So after I finally get my, my ticket after 20 minutes and I'm standing in line and I'm like, you guys can't just send this out through either the JetBlue app or like to my phone directly or through like there's some other way you can send this, right? And the uh, the ticketing agent there who said, no, we don't have access to that. We can't do it. So then a guy behind me was like, yo, man, that's actually a really great idea. Like, why don't they do that? And he and he was like, how do you think of that? And I said, well, I work in, I'm a blockchain attorney. I work in Web3. Like, it's, it's super simple to airdrop something to your phone. I can't see the issue with it. And so that kind of, it went viral a little bit, right, online. And it was a really interesting conversation, which is what I like to... I'm kind of either way, right? Because it was an interesting conversation because a lot of people said, well, there's current technology that we could just do that through an email or through a text message. It doesn't have to be blockchain. And then there's a lot of other people that were like, no, it must be blockchain. And I'm I'm on the fence of both. I think that as long as we can find a, a happy medium to innovate, right, without forcing the issue, then I'm all about it. But, you know, standing in line for 25 minutes, 20 minutes for a receipt, a printed receipt, it's just it's not the answer right? Like, what are we doing, man? So that was kind of the the context behind it. Yeah, for sure. And I actually, was it Southwest or, or JetBlue? I want uh, to make sure we're... It was JetBlue. Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure we're being critical of the right airline here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I told you I'm traveling today to consensus and I just downloaded my Southwest passes into my wallet and they're, they're NFTs, right? Right. Like, if, if you told, right. if you told me it's an NFT, I'd be like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. I wouldn't even question it because it's just a digital ticket. That's all it is. Right. And it's loaded with certain amount of information. And so I saw your I saw your tweet, and I think that that is where their space is really headed, and that's what's happened now. I, so I didn't – did you go to NFT? Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. Okay. Did you go to NFT NYC last year? I did, yeah. I was there last year too. So I heard from a lot of people – this was my first year to go mm-hmm. – that last year was, quote, bigger, and last year was better, and there was more stuff. But what I've also heard from people is, yeah, there were more projects in the room, but a lot of them were not hyper-focused on actually solving a real-world issue. Yeah. There were more PFP, vibey communities that had just literally been created on the internet in Discord like three months ago. Yeah. And they raised enough money with their mint sale to, and they have enough, at that time we had creator, you know, creator were still getting their fees through like OpenSea, for example, where they could basically cash flow to go to the event. And I thought it was interesting now to go this year and really see that the only ones that were kind of left standing, and I'm using air quotes here, were ones that were actually bringing something real. Like ticketing is real. There's an Argentine airline that's just recently moved all of their tickets over to blockchain. And, and you've clearly heard about this. And I didn't know you were in the DR. So that's super cool. Yeah. And I, I also want to touch on that land issue because the land issue in Latin America is massive. It's a huge problem. Of course. And Colombia is a very interesting case because it's the country with the most, and this could change because of war in Sudan currently, war in Ukraine, uh, droughts and other climate crisis related activities. But for a long time, Colombia had the most IDPs, which is internally displaced peoples because of the nearly 60 plus year long war. And so what happens, as you said, somebody shows up and they're like, oh yeah, that was my uncle's uncle's land. How do you know? And then they'll pull out some document or they'll do something or they'll prove that they have the same name and it, land is so difficult to like say this is mine and this is not mine and this is yours yeah. that putting it on the blockchain using GIS and then saying this geographic location is tied to this person could be really really valuable in on the coast and since you're in the DR I'm sure that this is an issue you have now the confluence of the cultural issue behind 
whose land is this? Yep. And they're like, in Colombia, at least on the coast and in other parts, they have things called invasiones, mm -hmm. which are literally just invasions. And like in the 70s and 80s, people would just go out and they would put stakes down and put metal wire and that was this their land. Mine. And now to, yeah. yeah, and now today it's actually grown up to be like actually something. And if you've seen, and now I'm going to tie like c c cinematic stuff in, but if you've seen City of God, mm -hmm. where, which is the, the whole story of the favelas into like the yeah, 90s great and movie. the early 2000s. Amazing movie amazing movie you see some similar things they're out in, like in the first scenes they're kind of in the middle of nowhere and then that eventually turns into the more sprawling favelas as things just grow like yeah. we humans we just continue to grow this has happened in any major city on the planet and so in land when you have that many internally displaced people you have a shoreline that's being lost on the coast you know year after year people just don't want to be that close to the salt water right it's like so necessary. So I'm glad that you brought that up because between those two, we have like real world use cases that you and I have both dealt with where it's like, wouldn't this be better on chain? And I'm not, the other thing is, I'm not actually convinced that some of the putting some of the deeds and the titles and dealing with MLS and mm -hmm. dealing with all of that in the United States is actually easier because we have a federal and a state exactly. system. Right. But Latin America is a super, super good case study. Yeah. And I just am thinking, and it's really cool to know you're in the DR, that blockchain is going to be adopted by Latin America. I, I tell everyone between crypto and between blockchain and Web3 solutions, I just think Latin America is going to lead the way. And in some ways they are. So talk to me about your own. Let's start, yeah, let's start with, uh, with the NFT NYC comment that you had earlier. And then let's go into Latin America. Because with NFT NYC, so I was there last year and I actually hosted an event. I did an event called Sasong in Jersey, right? And it was like kind of like a kickoff to... NFT NYC. And we had about, I'd say maybe 180, 200 people. And we had people fly in from the West Coast, from Colombia, from Mexico. Uh, it was definitely a Latino focused event, right? I had a great time, had a great turnout. It was awesome. A couple of days and then went into NFT NYC. Uh, the difference between last year and this year is definitely notable, right? And I say that in a good way. I don't think it's a bad thing, right? We got to figure that in the space we're in year maybe three or four, it's really not year one for NFTs. It's not even year two, right? I've been in it probably over two years now. And there's people that are OGs that have been in it for, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, right? And so the thing is that what I noticed was that last year was definitely that. It was all about the party. It was all about that, you know, I got this PFP project kicking off and we're going to do uh, for our holders, we're going to do this huge event and we're going to spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand on this gigantic thing to, to really kick off what we're doing. This year, I didn't see any of that. This year, what I saw was, all right, um, you know, the PFP craze is, it's not really over, but we need to actually create a business structure that's not based on just an NFT profile picture, right? And that's why that goes into just with what I always kind of guide with my clients where, you know, don't call me until you have your business plan set up. I can't help you with your business plan, right? That's just not my job. My job is legal, right? How do I incorporate your company, give you the best structuring advice, create all your agreements in between? If you want to, if it doesn't work out, you want to shut it down, we could do that too, right? But you should have a, a business plan set in place where I don't see the NFT as the product you're selling. I just see the NFT as the medium to whatever that product is, right? And if you're an artist, uh, the NFT is not your, your product. The NFT is just a way for you to sell your art. The product is your art, right? And so a lot of those conversations were being had this year where it's more moving away from this kind of glamorized version of what Web3 is and actually say, which is what I'm so excited about, okay, these are real life solutions in front of us that we have with the blockchain that we can implement. 
and we don't have to call them NFTs, right? You said you said something there exactly right uh, earlier on, where it's like I receive with South by with Southwest, you receive your tickets as digital tickets already, right? So it's like that's an NFT. Why can't we just incorporate it into the blockchain without telling people that, right? So that's one thing. The second part is that with Latin America specifically, um, I'm an attorney in New York, born and raised in the Bronx, have been um, a retired police officer from New York, became a, a, an attorney and then got into the conference space. So I've been traveling around for years. Uh, I was traveling around Latin America. I was traveling around the Caribbean and the East Coast mostly, right, for these conferences. And uh, I loved it so much uh, visiting Dominican Republic that I ended up moving here with my wife. The plan was to leave New York and go to Miami, kind of like every New Yorker. And we came to Dominican Republic, to Punta Cana specifically, and we never just never wanted to leave. It's amazing here, right? But in doing so, I've traveled around Dominican Republic. I've traveled around Puerto Rico and Colombia specifically for Web3, where I've spoken at events, uh, been to events. And I've seen this real life, you know, solutions that can be implicated with NFTs in the blockchain. And you're right. In the U.S., it's it's difficult because you have the federal system, you have the MLS system, you have the, the state system, and it's hard to implicate, to put all of that into one, one kind of easy solution, considering the SEC is kind of cracking down on, on crypto. It's a, it's a mess, right? Basically, let's just leave it at that. Latin America, we don't have a lot of those barriers to put things in place. A lot of the times, it's just if the government wants to do it, we do it. We try it. That's it. And I give you another good example dealing with the the land situation, right? Uh, in Dominican Republic, there's a process called deslindad. Deslindad means that we own this piece of land. We don't know the meters of it. We don't know exactly how much land we own. Before we can sell it to you, we have to deslindad the land, right? To find the meters and the bounds of meets to see what exactly does we own. So I'll give you a real life example. A couple of years ago when I first moved here, uh, I've been living here five years now. When I first moved here, I called up this home not too far from me. That's a, about a five minute walk to the beach. And I said, this is a beautiful piece of land. Probably doesn't cost much. Let me call him and see how much it is. And I was interested in buying it. When I called him and I spoke to the, the attorney for it, he said, okay, well, we have to do this process, but you have to pay $5,000 to start the process. So here it is that they're telling me that they don't know what they really own. And I have to pay $5,000 before I even get to know how much it costs. I had to pay 5,000 just to start that process to buy it, <laughs> you know? And, and it's like, <laughs> it's like, well, there's gotta be some sort of way we can make this. And I don't have the answer. I'm not a real estate agent, you know, but there's gotta be some sort of way we can make this process simpler with the blockchain and simpler with NFTs where MLS doesn't really exist down here like that. Well, what if it's a newer version on the blockchain? What if maybe we start on the blockchain as opposed to trying to figure out how to incorporate the the traditional MLS system, right? So I think there's definitely a lot of, even just, even just for example, my COVID vaccines, right? I, I got my COVID vaccines in Dominican Republic. I got three of them. They're on a, a regular traditional piece of paper, right? It just says the dates, the doctor signed it. This is when you have your COVID vaccines. If I lose that piece of paper, what happens? I can't, I couldn't prove that I was vaccinated. You give me this as a digital NFT, right? And it's like, yeah, I got it on my phone. I got it on my computer. I got it everywhere. And it's simply done, right? So there's a lot of just intricate ways that I feel that we can incorporate the blockchain into Latin America easier than we can in the United States. 100%. And I'm glad that you're in Latin America. Like I said, I'm in Colombia and I'm just looking to grow also my like Hispanic network. Yeah. And I feel like you're totally a part of that now. And it, I was yeah. laughing the entire time you were talking about that land situation because I was trying to buy land in the last 2021, 2022 in Colombia. It was the exact same thing. 
they were telling us it was a certain amount of hectares, which is a certain amount of basically, it's a different measurement. It's bigger mm -hmm. than an acre. But they were saying, you know, it's uh, 60 hectares or something. Right. And we're looking at it and it's up a mountain. Like you can't look at it and try to like, you couldn't eat like, you know, if it were all flat, you could probably take an hour and literally just walk out pretty easily and just literally walk it out. But we, there was no way for us to know. And so we started talking to some other, we, we found another guy, I think he's from Chicago and he had bought land and he was like, I don't, they don't call it a deslinda. I, I forget what they call it, but he was like, yeah, yeah, you need to get the land measured before you buy it. Yep. And he was like, case in point, he went to buy, they were going to sell him, I think it was 32 acres. Well, it was called hectares, but 32 acres, well, same, a, a, a unit of measurement. Exactly. And he, <laughs> when he measured it out, it was 16. But what happened was over the years, because it's oral history, they were just like, oh, it's 20, probably like right. 200 years ago. And then it turned into 22. Right. And then it turned into 24. And then there was a dispute and then somebody bumped it up to pay whatever. So there's a couple weird things with the land. It's like you first have to, and we were going to have to pay for it. And exactly. it was a large amount of money, yeah. especially in US dollars in Latin America. So we were going to have to pay to find out actually what we were going to buy. And then depending on the analysis we did, we may then have to pay more exactly. because if we already agree on an amount per hectare or amount per acre, mm -hmm. we may actually be paying money up front to pay more money, mm -hmm. which was like, and this is why no one does it. And there's also a tax implication. But anyways, buying land around the world is going to continue to be something that's going to be, it needs a solution It does because we have- it does more and more people on less and less land. Right. And those things are like totally going as the population is growing. We're having less land due to cl the climate crisis, drought, and just war. And there's now a lot of land. Land is really no good if people can't plant crops in most of the world. Right. They want to be able to just throw something down in the back, you know, get some corn going or something. So mm -hmm. anyways, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's transition yeah. from the land. And, and I actually, and one day I'll learn how to podcast, but I should have asked you this before. How long have you been in crypto? And you kind of gave some of your background there sure. and it sounds multifaceted, but where in that history did you run into crypto and then tie it into now your legal work? Sure. So when I, as, after I retired as a cop, uh, like I said, I went into this political conference, right? And I was kind of, I was organizing with the part of the planning committee. I was organizing these big political conferences. And as a result of that, I was traveling a lot. And so through the traveling consistently to Latin America, particularly Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. I really, I really wanted to create a nonprofit to be able to offer people like me, like I'm, I'm considered diaspora. So I'm Puerto Rican by descent, right? My parents are both born, my parents, are, my mom is born in New York. My dad's born in Puerto Rico. I'm born in New York. So I'm born and raised in the Bronx. I am Puerto Rican, but I'm considered Puerto Rican by descent. So how do we consistently stay in touch with our culture, right? It's not easy. So, you know, I'm still working on a nonprofit that I have called Nexus Latinx, where we want to be able to bring college students of typical um, diaspora descent down to Puerto Rico, down to Dominican Republic, so they can spend a free week and travel, learn about their culture, learn about the history. Israel provides the same type of program called the birthright trip, right, uh, for the Jewish faith. And so I want to do the same thing for Latin America. So that's a long-winded answer, but it goes to say that what happened as a result of that, I started this travel company that I saw the potential in that as a nonprofit and also as a business. Started this travel company, was connecting a lot with Latinx uh, diaspora entrepreneurs throughout the Americas, right? And figured that what I learned was that actually we travel the most in the Americas and we spend the most money in travel, which a lot of people don't realize that. So in that whole process, I started learning more about the blockchain in Puerto Rico. And I started learning more about just What's consistently been happening, which is a lot of these crypto billionaires have been moving to Puerto Rico, taking advantage of the tax laws there. 
I got into it and I really started to invest in it first. Uh, I would say maybe 20, as far back as 2016, 2017, I started investing heavy in uh, Bitcoin, of course, because that was the real big thing, right? Got into Bitcoin, got into ETH, and I was just super excited about it, but I couldn't find a way to really incorporate it into my company at the time because it was travel and travel is such an antiquated system that it just, it's like we said earlier, right? It's very difficult to incorporate this technology. And so I did this big uh, travel summit in 2019 in Miami and had about, about, again, about 200 people, 240 people, something like that it was a great three-day event that we did for the company. And I, that's when I really first heard about NFTs when I was in Miami, right? Uh, learning from other tech founders in Miami because we were incorporating the tech founders into our, into our travel summit. And I knew about crypto, but I didn't know about NFTs. So I took a real huge, uh, went down the rabbit hole with NFTs, learned about it, understood it, figured out what it was. And then I said, I had a fallout, unfortunately, with my company, uh, with my ex-partner and ended up just leaving the company and needed to do something new. So I went down the rabbit hole of NFTs and said, you know what, as an attorney, I can do this. Like I can, I can create, I know how to do business. I did it from the founder's perspective of my own company and my own nonprofit, right? Not necessarily doing it for others yet. But this is something I can learn and I can figure out. Started really getting into it. Applied for my first job with a company called Block Asset, which is actually uh, an English company, and we had uh, Muhammad. We have Muhammad Ali's NFT rights, right? So we have his actual, like, we're the only company in the world that actually had NFT rights from the Muhammad Ali estate. So I thought this was gigantic. The company took a took a shot on me, right? And and they gave me a shot, right? And uh, had a great time working with them, got to travel, got to learn about IP licensing and what's how it's so important for this NFT space. Got to work with about maybe 40 to 45 UFC fighters and got to go to fights, got to travel, you know, um, private jets and all this stuff. So it was really a great time I had. And I never wanted to leave the space after that. So unfortunately, we had to end up leaving that. And I started my own thing, Cigar Consulting, with this idea that, yes, I'm an attorney. Yes, my partner is an attorney. But the future of it is really to grow out almost this kind of like VaynerX kind of idea where it's a overall one-stop shop for consulting for the crypto industry, right? I don't feel at this moment in time that there's just enough business for an attorney to sit here and say, I'm only going to be an NFT attorney and I'm not doing anything else, right? It's just not enough in the space. So we also do uh, business in general, where if you want to start a business, you want to run your business, you want to shut down your business. We got you. You know, we say at Cigar Consulting that we're here because marathons don't run themselves, right? And we want to be your legal partner in this entrepreneurial journey. So I've been very multifaceted, had a bunch of different experiences. But at the end of the day, the one thing that's tied me into all of my, my history and my experience is really just solving problems with people. That's what I've known how to do since I was 21. Uh, I've been studying the law since I was 21, right? Um, as a cop and as an attorney. And so I want to be able to implicate all of these problem solving skills I have to my clients. Everything you just said resonates a lot. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people that I talk to either through this network, through more than blockchain, mm -hmm. through another show I have called Not Crypto Bros, or just in any of the work I have, a lot of people are trying to create those one-stop one shops, yeah. kind of in the a la VaynerX. And I think it's really possible now even more than ever because of things like ChatGPT. Right. You can now get so much done. Like our productivity individually is just continues to increase. Yep. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I was on the website before and I was looking at everything and 
you outlined three buckets, I think, where Cigar can help out and where you support. One of them yeah. is strategy consultant. Yeah. One of them is general counsel and then training. Mm -hmm. So there is an education and I'm assuming an onboarding aspect. Mm -hmm. Of those three, where are you focusing your time right now as we're in the bear market? Yeah. <laughs> and right. do you think that will change as we you know, break down the percentages and then talk about if they'll change and how they'll change as we go towards a bull market? Sure, sure. So I think with the bear market right now, a lot of what we're focusing on, I have a, a business partner of mine too, that's also an attorney. I went to law school with him. We're focusing on the legal, right? Like we're, we're, how can I best put it? Like a lot of the clients that we have now, and we have some that we're onboarding soon this week have been in the space already. And they really need to, to kind of figure out their, their legal situations, right? To make sure that they're airtight because they have these huge opportunities coming in front of them that they want to take full advantage of. But maybe when we all started, we were super excited, right? Nobody was really thinking. We just kind of went to LegalZoom or went to, you know, some system that created a quick company for us and really was not thinking about the agreements in place, the actual IP protections, right? So a lot of the clients I have now are in that space, right? Where it's like, oh, okay, not that they necessarily want to start something brand new. They have something, but they want to improve on it and protect it better. That's really what we focus a lot on now. I'd say the second bucket that we focus is just the business consulting work with that. Yes, we're attorneys, but I've been an entrepreneur on my own about five years already, right? So I have a lot of insights and intricate ideas that are different from other attorneys where it's not just here, sign this agreement and that's it. It's like, no, I can give you the agreement, but I can also help you understand like, well, this makes better business decisions, right? This makes more sense for you to do this and partner with this person as opposed to maybe not this person. So the legal part is definitely the main focal point that we do, but the business consultant, for example, we're working on a, a movie. We have a client, right? That's coming out with a movie next year. It's going to be NFT implications with that. We did some work where we had to create companies to protect the NFT as much as we can. But then we also have been doing a lot of consultant work in terms of partnerships, in terms of how do we get this person in, in terms of what does the deck look like? Is the pitch right, right? So a lot of that work has been really the main two focuses. Uh, the third one is like training. We're still building it out, right? We want to be able to really, and I think that that's going to just come with time where I want to be able to go to like the NBA and say, hey, you know what? I have this understanding of IP rights for athletes, right? And I want to be able to incorporate it into an athlete or the NBA itself. And maybe the athlete, for example, doesn't have the team around him built in place, and maybe they just have an attorney. Maybe they just have they have their marketing team. They have right all of that in place. But maybe they just need some training on really understanding how to implicate this blockchain system into what they have already. So we want to be able to uh, on the back end offer that. And I'm actually considering going into doing some maybe like Udemy courses or you know maybe even trying to get like an adjunct professorship just so that way I can kind of build that out as to the experience that I've had the past couple of years and the knowledge I have in this space to share it to people that maybe they don't need the attorney, maybe they don't need the business consultant, but they need some education as to how they can run this on their own. So it's kind of like broken into those percentages now that we're working with. Yeah, because I was looking and I was thinking, I was thinking very similar to that. Yeah. I'm thinking, okay, right now, a lot of legal work and general counsel yeah. and some strategy consultant on the side, but maybe not a lot of training and onboarding because people aren't really clawing for that. And I know not personally- People but last, but last year they were, right. That's what I'm going to say. 2022, they were asking. 2021, yeah. 
Yeah, in 2021, everyone, when, when people would reach out to me, friends and family, it was like, oh, how do I buy? Exactly. And now is actually the time when they should be reaching out saying, how do I learn? Exactly. But that's just not how human behavior works, I it's guess, not. with markets. So. But but don't, don't you feel, Jared, that like we're in a, in a I mean, I feel this every time I, I work in this space that we're like in a really unique position where we're percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a population that actually understand a lot of this and actually know the scams and actually know how all that works. Right. And, and it's the same with me even now, like I've had maybe previous coworkers or I've had family members reach out to me and they're like, Hey, I don't know anything about this, but I know you do. So how can you help me out? I wish I had the time to sit there and, and, and do all of that for everybody. I don't, but at the same time, it really puts us in a position that this is going to eventually be mass adoption. And it's just not a question of if anymore. It's really when. I mean, it's billions of dollars, almost trillions of dollars into this industry. It's not going anywhere. And so much so that, you know, the legal system is involved with it. The SEC is involved with it, right? State governments are involved with it because they know that it's almost it's this avalanche that's just not going to stop. And and so with that, right, I just I feel like we're in a certain there's no there's no advice. There's no um, experts, I like to say, right? There really aren't any in this space. But that doesn't mean that you and me can't be the experts in five years, right? When Congress does these, these congressional hearings, like, I don't understand why one of us can't be the person sitting there, right? It's just, it's possible right now. And that's such an, it, that's such an important moment to me that I've never had that opportunity in my life, right, before. And so I'm really going, you know, ham on this. And I'm, I'm doing, I'm quoting my, uh, a friend of mine, July Gruyong, who's the founder of Nettyworth, when I first met him. Literally, the first words out of his mouth were, I aped in fully, right? He's like, I took everything that I own and I basically threw it into this and it's worth it. And I'm doing that because it's made, it's already made me money. It's already worth it for me, but I'm aping in fully into this. That's really where I'm, I'm at, you know? Yeah, I feel that 100%. I've always had, and I'm super open. I say this all the time, but I've, you know, 99% of my net worth is blockchain backed, whether that's in NFTs or in crypto. Yeah. And it's funny though. Because what, 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 your, what your friend is the founder is saying, that's been the case for me for years. Right. But only, I'd say, 14 months ago, did I, this podcast used to be called something else, but did I finally 100% ape in? I, it was my birthday and it was last March and I just sat there and I was like, am I real about this or not? Because right. if I'm not, you, you, can't, you can't go half in. You have to go 100% or not. And yeah, now this is, the, the podcast is really interesting for me because it's like, I create these episodes for people I've never met, right? Because this is so small and you and I've only met, but like you and I have so much more in common these days than maybe you do with other people in your life that are much better friends, right? Even though you and I could sit here and talk about this forever. And now knowing that you're in the DR is super cool. So, so even just in NFT NYC, I did an event in the Bronx, which was amazing to me because I never thought I'd be going back to the place that raised me, right? And talking about blockchain as an attorney. I'm on the task force for emerging digital finance with the New York State Bar Association. So that's another gigantic step for me because as just a person of color growing up in the Bronx, uh, you know, attorneys were only less than 6% of us in the entire United States are Latino, right? Less than 2% are Latina, which is our women, our, our, our sisters, you know, and, and yet my mom is a part of that below 2%, right? So I really never thought that with such a low percentage that I'm a part of that the bar association would actually care about my opinion. Right. But now I'm on this task force and we did an event that I was sitting side by side with the co-founder of the task force, uh, Mark Beckman, who's an amazing person, super talented attorney. And yet we're here talking about blockchain in the middle of the hood, in the middle of the Bronx, Right. 
And so with that, it's just that like, it's such a, um, such a grateful opportunity and such an amazing experience that I want to just be fully a part of and not really go anywhere else. I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I now work for Mercy Corps. I don't know if you know this, I work for Mercy Corps and I'm trying to basically bring on the younger mass market donor and see basically within crypto and within NFTs where the philanthropic communities are and then try to bring them closer to what we're doing because we work around the world. We're one of the biggest international NGOs or INGOs on the planet. And for me, I feel the same way probably as you do when you think about the statistics of lawyers nationally or for me globally or for you globally, the amount of people that are in their niche, whatever that is for me, it's international development, philanthropy that are looking at crypto, still less than 1%. Yep. And on the fundraising side, there's probably only six or seven organizations out of the like 1.2, I think it's like 1.2 million nonprofits. There's probably only six or seven nonprofits that have someone like me on their staff yep. who is basically Web3 native from their five to nine and then helps out in the nine to five to say, okay, where's the network? Where's the partnership? You know, stay away from that. You should dive into this because NFT communities were apparently reaching out over the last year before I hopped on and they'd be like, hey, let us help you out. And they're like, I don't know, the pudgy penguin dog kennel club <laughs> minis, whatever. <laughs> right, and- right, right, right. It's like this. I got a message with a guy with some ape picture. I don't know what, who is this? What are we talking about here? Yeah. Exactly. And Mercy Corps, who's just a nonprofit who's trying to protect their brand and they have, you know, a mandate to do no harm. Right. They're not trying to align with someone that's going to be doing something nefarious or God knows what. Not. So yeah. it's been very interesting and I, I totally feel so grateful, but sometimes it's like, we're so early. That makes you valuable, extremely valuable. Yeah. I mean, when you think about like, if it's everything you just said, right? You're like, how many, how many kids were raised in the Bronx? who became lawyers, who are now working on blockchain. Well, I think you might be the only one, which is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And I was thinking of this myself the other day, and it's like, we're either really early to something that is going to continue, as you say, trillions of dollars, if we're just looking at a financial you know, metric to, to measure growth, or we're really wrong. Right. <laughs> right. And, I, and, and when you have faith in something, and it's beyond faith, there's, there's a knowledge component here. It's not like I, I believe at this. Like I've seen it. It's happening. Right. We're either really early or, and you and I are going to be good in five years, or we're going to be doing something completely different because the space is going to fall out. You know, it's almost like it is binary, right? right. It's going to zero or it's going to a million. But right? I, I think that that chance is a thousand percent worth it for a few reasons. One, just because of simple fact, and, and Mark, the uh, co-founder of the task force that I'm on said this to me, he said, you know, he said, I do tons of business. He said, I've had my ad agency for 20 years. And he said, I go into a lot of these meetings and people are miserable. Every single blockchain event I come to. Every single one of them, people are excited, they're happy, they're smiling, they're ex- they don't know what to do, they want to, you know, and it's, it's, it's such an amazing opportunity. And even at that event that I went to, which is called the Pigeons of New York, that event I went to in the Bronx, it was a lot of founders that were just telling their story and the creativity that I saw there, it blew my mind. I mean, you had people creating hip hop board games on the blockchain and it just stuff like that, that I would never think of that. I'm just like, where did you think of this, man? And yet... It was such an amazing experience, right? Going through that. And then the other part to it is that, well, even if we fail, right? Even if this all goes to crap, we just had five years of an amazing experience that I'm going to apply to something else. You know, whatever I do next, I'll just, okay, I'll apply it to that. So either way, I think it's it's a risk that I'm worth taking for sure. Yeah. And it becomes less of a risk for me every single day. Exactly. NFT, NYC, seeing all that. And, you know, I have an entire deck that I've created internally for Mercy Corps. And I, I created it internally for Mercy Corps, but I've shared with other people who are like, hey, is this for real? Yeah. And it's this one image and I wish I could show it with you, but it has like 
Starbucks, Nike, Adidas, exactly. Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, MasterCard, Visa, Walmart. And I just say, I will give you $1,000 to anyone in the States or anyone kind of anywhere, but definitely in the States. If you can tell me you've never touched any one of these brands, exactly. go ahead. I'll give you $1,000. And obviously it's just a ploy and it's kind of a gag moment. But the idea is that the brands that you already invest in, the brands that you believe in are diving wholeheartedly 100% into, into it. Yep. And so it's not going like that's smart money. And that's the thing I try to convey with people when we talk about, you know, the adoption angle. But for you in 10 years, yeah. what are firms going to be talking about when it comes to blockchain? What do you good, think? Good question. Because, and I say this because many of my friends work for firms and they're trying to get to the partner level and they're mid thirties to mid forties. And the partners are all of a certain age. And it still feels like a really gate kept thing, unless you're going to obviously start your own firm. Right where I still think it's run by people that maybe are just not on the front of like whatever technology looks like, like whatever yeah. that could be. A lot of, and this is going to be an ageist comment, and please, I, I, if people get angry with me, that's fine. But when I talk with some of my entrepreneurial friends, small business friends, the older they get, the less likely it is that they're using ChatGPT. Yes. The less likely it is that they're making videos on TikTok which is like our new YouTube, mm -hmm. the less likely it is that they're just using something like Canva to make their images. I'm just talking about like the very basic These parts of the internet. All that things that I use, using. so I understand. <laughs> all, I all, all, it, yeah. all tools that you use. Yeah. And so question is, how will attorneys, do you think, like how do you think attorneys and legal firms are gonna be thinking about blockchain? And I said 10 years, which is crazy because we know we can't even predict two weeks. But like by 2025 in the bull run, yeah. what are the questions in the conversation do you think you're going to be having around this? So I, I think a lot of it from the attorney space, you have like different almost sectors and components, right? For me specifically, when I went to law school, I was 30 years old. I have screws in my spine. I had a really bad car accident at work when I was a cop. I had to retire early. So I was recovering from back surgery, right? Going to law school at night uh, to be an attorney. I knew that I was going to finish law school about 33, 34, take the bar at 35, 36, something like that. I would, there's no way that I was going to go be like a bottom rung attorney and, and start from the bottom and work 80 hours a week to get to partner level one day, 15 years later. That just wasn't my life, right? So I knew that I had to take an alternative route and figure out a different way to be able to practice and be successful. And Web3 came along and it just, this is it, right? This is great for me. What I think is that attorneys, you have kind of like the compliance angle, right? Where even just this week, I believe uh, I have a couple of friends that are going up to Albany with Coinbase because there's just a lot of hearings and things that are going on. So you definitely have like that securities angle, that compliance angle of attorneys really digging into that. You have this litigation component that's building, right? You have a lot of companies in particularly in the AI space that are building up their litigation legal departments, because we know that as AI grows, for example, you have AI Drake songs coming out all of a sudden, right? That are super great that I kind of, I'm waiting for the club one, club banger. But these companies, the AI companies are creating this litigation component because they know that the issues are going to come when they're going to be sued, right? So they're getting ready for that. You definitely have the business angle, which is where I like to focus on, where it's how do we help the Nikes, the Starbucks, right? The Metas, how do we help them understand what we understand and bring them into the blockchain? Right. And how do we what are the agreements that like we need to do differently? What's the IP agreements? What's the IP understanding that we need to have? So there's definitely a large influx of these amazing IP attorneys. And I'm friends with pretty much, you know, most of them in the space. And I look up to them so much because they're the ones that are really like leading a lot of this charge. Right. 
Yuga came out and they changed the game when they said, you know, you can get this NFT and you can do what you want with it because we're giving you full commercial rights, right? Unheard of, right? Really hasn't been done uh, in a lot of other spaces. And so I think that it's it's a lot of that. It's a lot of building out your, your IP angle, right? Your IP department to get the understanding of this, building out your litigation because there's going to be issues that come, especially with the AI component. And then really building out your your regulatory and compliance angle with these large firms that are just growing them out. For me, I'll be honest with you, I'm not really interested in a lot of that. I'm, what I'm interested in is more the the consultancy angle to it, right? Where uh, I'll give a good example. GQ, I applied for it last year. They came out with job offering for the vice president of like Web3. This is a, another gigantic, huge magazine. I mean, storied magazine, huge history, right? And they were looking for like the vice president of Web3. Once I saw that, I said, okay, this is a serious, like a serious industry that we're growing out. I like to, to work in that piece where I like to work in with entrepreneurs, definitely 100% that want to come on and get into the space, right? I also like to work with bigger brands or maybe people that are in other industries. You know, I mentioned the film, right? Like we've been working with a film director that has this whole huge company and has his own IP. How do we implicate, how do we apply that to the NFT space, right? Because it's a little bit different than traditional IP, but at the same time, it's not hugely different. So we don't want to, we always want to kind of find that, that middle ground. So I think that the firms and I think that attorneys, I think it's just a matter of we need to be based in actual law, right? Um, you know, I was joking around with a couple of friends of mine at NFTNYC because if I take a court case to a judge and I say, well, this is Web3, bro, the judge is not going to care. He's not going to, he's going to look at me like I'm crazy and probably even put me in contempt, right? He's not going to care. But yet that's the, that, that's the truth, right? And I think attorneys, we understand that best that, okay, this is a new emerging technology. It's a new emerging culture. It's a new emerging system. But how do we rope it into what we already have, which is traditional law that's been around a very long time? How do we kind of push the boundaries of it in that we're protecting our clients, we're protecting the companies that come to us, but we are also pushing a little bit to implicate what's going on in the space because it is, it is such a, a revolutionary, uh, revolutionary idea of just decentralization, right? So I, I, again, to kind of answer the question, I, I think it's that we're all trying to find this middle ground of how do we how do we use what we know now with the experience we have with the law that's in place and do some tweaks to incorporate all of this uh, safely. And the other angle to that is that the international aspect, right? For example, uh, this week I'm actually flying back to New York um, as part of the task force that I told you with the Bar Association. We're doing a huge Web three symposium. So Friday and Saturday, it's an all-day thing, and it's tr it's training for attorneys internationally. We have attorneys flying in. We, we're, we're, we're doing partnerships with the California Bar Association, Ukrainian Bar Association, Barcelona Bar Association, right? So we have attorneys flying in from all over the United States because this is such a huge revolutionary industry that we're in right now that attorneys want to understand what's going on. And we're doing pretty much the largest training session right now up to date this week in New York. So it, it goes to show you that there's definitely interest from the legal field as to understand what's going on. I wanted to ask you, and, and thank you for sharing all that, because it definitely sounds like you're on the forefront of figuring all this out. And it is new. And it's like, okay, how do we regulate this now? I'm sure 
I wasn't, I was too young when the internet came around, but I'm sure when the internet came around, I was like, holy crap, this is a whole new quagmire of legalese. And right now everything has a terms and, uh, you know, terms of services. And so what are the differences? What are those minute differences? Yeah. Like what are the little differences between IP in web two and then web three and those things that you have to be yeah. really kind of careful about? So I'd say the, the, like I like to explain things not so much from like the legalese perspective, right? So everybody can understand it. They go to law school, right? When it comes to terms of service, right? We have, I mean, think about in your lifetime how many terms of service you signed on off, you signed off on that you have never read, right? How many Apple updates? How many just stuff that you've gotten receipts? Like tons of stuff that it, it, even including me, right? Throughout my life, I never, I don't think I've ever read a terms of service until I went to law school, right? And that's just was how it is. So. IP specifically, that terms of service agreement on the on the uh, for NFTs, right? On that minting website, that is your like that's your your gold standard. Like that's just what you're going to be held liable for, right? And so, as a good example with the IP rights, with Yuga, with Artifacts, a couple of companies that went like CC zero, right? Like there's different ways that that's where you where you decide on. Okay, this is what we're giving you. This is what you're going to get from us through the terms of service. So that that terms of service, I think, has been magnified way more to the general public than it was before. Attorneys were always in the tech sector specifically, always abreast of it, where, you know, signing off on what's called a click wrap agreement. When you come to the website and it says, like, do you agree to this? Yes or no. Right. Like that's a click wrap agreement. So things like that, which we mindlessly kind of just clicked off on. I was like, yeah, whatever. It's all good. Now. I find clients coming to me and, and, and wanting to learn more about that, right? So I think that just from the basic, like basic standpoint of just everyday life, that has been something very different in that we need to understand what's in that agreement. And the main difference in Web3, as opposed to traditionally, is just been you're giving, are you giving, right? Just a question alone. Well, me talking to clients, are you giving commercial rights? Are you giving any rights at all to the holders of this NFT project specifically, right? That for me is a big shift. And it's the main, it's, it's a question that pops up every single, with every single client, right? And so for, I think that that's just a huge drastic change where before that, that was never a question. No, I'm not giving, I'm not giving you my IP rights to anything. This is my IP. I paid tons of, I paid, you know, hundreds if not thousands of dollars for the trademarks and the copy. I'm not giving you nothing right? Now it's like, well, I want to give everybody everything because it works and it's a different shift, right? And that's gigantic because I always say too that, you know, I'm a, I'm a sneakerhead, right? So my whole life I've been collecting Jordans, right? And it's like, well, I can buy a pair of Jordans and what can I do with it? I can wear it. That's it. Nothing else, right? Imagine being able to buy a pair of Jordans and I could say, I'm opening the Michael Jordan restaurant, Air, Air J1 restaurant, right? Like, and be able to do that, right? So it's building on the brand's IP that you're really creating. So that for me is the main shift and difference uh, when it comes to the IP rights. Yeah, that makes sense because it's like, that's the whole read, write, and now own aspect of Web3. And yep. you add that ownership and it gets really funky quick. I was explaining this the other day to someone and they were asking me about Web3 and what I really liked. And we basically had a similar conversation to what you were just talking about, which is like, okay, Board Ape Yacht Club came out and they said, if you own a Board Ape Yacht Club, you basically now own the IP, so you can do whatever you want. And then I showed them a picture of the holder who had created that burger joint using the, using their ape, yeah, right? Yeah. I've, I've like eaten it before. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Exactly. The branding. I still haven't eaten there. I'd yeah. like to. But I was like, this is so much better because now they have 10,000. They're, they're empowering 10,000 holders. I think there's less. But if you have 10,000 holders that are all going to go out and just share your brand everywhere because they can make their own profit. Yep. At the end of the day, people just see the iconic ape and they're going to see that and be like, oh, and then when they see it other places, I mean, there's no better way. It's like basically Nike back in the day paying people to run around and create their own little, like you said, Air Jordan Nikes to just blow the brand up. Right. Because at the end of the day, we're still so visually tied to things. And one of the questions I had about IP, and I'm not sure if you can answer this, but I've been like super curious and I feel like this might be, hopefully it's a, hopefully it's low hanging fruit, but what is going on with doodles? Because they basically said, we're not an NFT project. And like, how is their IP? Like, how did them saying, don't call us an NFT change their IP? Is this because they're getting ready? Cause they, want to avoid it being a quote security or what is going on there? I I've been trying to figure that out and I just haven't looked into it, honestly. It's, it's a good question. I haven't dove in too much into doodles, honestly, because they kind of disappeared, right? Like, I mean, you had, I remember last year at NFT NYC, you know, a few friends of mine went to the other parties and, and they were just loving it. Oh my God, doodles, you have to get one. You have to, and I just really kind of took a step back just because I'm not a fan of the art too much personally on my own. But I think in them doing the shift, I still think it's that they're trying to figure themselves out, right? And this goes back to what I do with a lot of clients. What's your business plan, right? Like, what's the business that you're doing? And I think that they kind of fell victim to that, where it's like, we have this entity, we're creating this, this is the product, this is what we're doing 100%. I think that shift is more them realizing, like, wait a minute, like, this is not the product this is because you're you're kind of capped right you really are capped as to what you can do because people do pay for access and information right a friend of mine told me that some time ago and that's very true and i like to give that kind of tidbit to clients too but what what was what was it that doodles was was doing so much differently than everybody else right okay you have access to the parties cool okay what else like what else you got for me, bro? You know, because I can go to a party. And I don't need I don't need an NFT to go to some nice party. You know, I could do that anywhere. So for me, it's like they're they're trying to figure that out. Like, okay, we kind of got ahead of ourselves here. Let's bring in some people that understand this business aspect to it, and let's go from there and really just kind of work into it what it is that we really want to be. I think it's a it's a shift in that. I don't know necessarily if it's the whole like security aspect. That could be them kind of hedging their bets and taking a part of that too, because the SEC is definitely coming down with tons of just enforcement actions. Uh, Gary Ginsler just got roasted by like Congress last week, right? Which something that, you know, I'm not going to say I'm happy for, but, you know, I'm not uh, angry at it either. So I, I think it's a matter of just that really just kind of like a business decision as to saying like, well, what are we going to do with this? Are we going to create movies? Or are we going to create a you know, a whole new studio, right? Which I think there was talks, so or I don't know if they already did it, that they were going to actually do some sort of like animation studio, right? Which I think is a great way to go. But even with that, like, you're still kind of capped at the at the, the size of what they are, right? Like, I, I so I met with a, an artist in NFT NYC that's a friend of mine, and he does this really cool project called Bad Wabbits, right? Bad Wabbits, love the art. Um, I have a personal connection with it. My father, who recently passed away, um, I actually gave him uh, an actual like one of one piece, right? That my that what the artist created and it was signed by him, and I gave it to my father. And my father didn't never understood crypto, right? He said I was a fake attorney because he didn't understand the space. But he's a collector. He's an artist his entire life. He's a musician his entire life. And uh, once I gave him the actual like in person piece, he loved it. 
he said, that's not leaving my house. That's staying here. Right. And then he understood it because it's like a lot of my, you mean to tell me, he's asked me, he said, you mean to tell me a lot of my artist friends could have actually been selling their art through this NFT project. And I said, yes, bro. Like that's the medium. That's how you do it. But that's also more like Danny, who's the, the creator of it. He has tons of ways he can go with it. He can create coloring books. He can create animation. He can create merch. He could do all that. But it's a small business, right? It's 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 him, right? Where Doodles is kind of like, we're going to hire everybody and bring everybody on and then figure it out, right? And so I think it's just kind of taking a step back with that, where the whole Pharrell announcement, that was gigantic, man. Like Pharrell's coming into it. And what happened out of that? Like, where are we, Right. So I, I think a lot of it is just kind of taking a step back and now realizing this bear market, like, okay, we got to cut off what doesn't work and we got to triple down on what does work. I, I think you're spot on. It's the bear market's really exposed people who understand cash flow, who understand the legal side, who have a CPA, who can do taxes, who understand the basics of business. Yep. And it's beyond just the creative aspect, creating a community kind of vibes and parties because yeah, I joke all the time, like, you know, people are buying $2,000 uh, abilities to them buy a sixty dollars sweatshirt. Right, is that it? Right. You know, that's I, all you got for me. So, yeah, right. Yeah, is that it? Right. Because at the end of the day, like uh, parties are great, but also you'd rather just probably party with your friends in your backyard with like whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I want to give you the chance to shout out where people can get in touch with you if they're looking for any one of the three things: the 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 strategy consulting, the legal counsel, or the training. Um, where can people get in touch? You and I met on Twitter. Yeah. Is Twitter, LinkedIn, website, feel free to drop it all. Sure, sure. The uh, the best way is um, with our website. It's www.scfirm.co. Uh, that's our website. You can have, take a look at what we do. Take a look at some of the people that I work with. And then you can actually have a direct Calendly, uh, a free 20-minute uh, consultation through my Calendly directly on the website. So I want to give people, I feel that, you know, as attorneys, we should give you it, the law should be accessible, basically, right? So it's like, I want to be able to give you that direct link to me. Follow me on Twitter at Pablo Enrique ESQ, P-A-B-L-O-E-N-R-I-Q-U-E-E-S-Q. That's on uh, Twitter. And either one of those is it's good. Um, I'm pretty accessible. My DMs are open. And, you know, you got questions, send them my way. Great. I will add all of those links to the show notes. So be sure to check them out there. And thanks for hopping on. And like I said, I really I do, you know, part of my network is definitely growing the Latin American or the Hispanic network. There have been guests on here, I think now from every continent other than like what, Antarctica. So that's really exciting. Um, awesome. So you're now part of a global network of people who've hopped on the pod. So yeah, thanks for making time and keep tweeting because that is how we got connected. And I saw there your you tweet go. and I was like, oh yeah, this is great. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode of More Than Blockchain. And be sure to check out this episode's show notes where you'll find all of Pablo's contact information as well as the link to his website. No matter where you're listening to the pod, please go ahead and subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and share the link with a friend, colleague, or family member. You can DM it, email it, tweet it, text it, however you want to share it with them. And be sure to follow us on social media at More Than Blockchain. Thanks again for checking out More Than Blockchain. And I'll see you next time.